Hello, everyone. Uh, it is always very, very humbling to stand up here and speak to this congregation. I uh, do not uh, count myself uh, worthy of, of such things, and, and I don't take it lightly. Um, I appreciate everyone's uh, patience with me today. Normally, uh, when I do speak, I've got a lot of preparation. I can work on it like, you know, six months ahead of time and get everything figured out. Well, as of last night, I did not know I was going to be doing this. So, uh, so, so bear with me, and uh, I'll, I'll just open up with a word of prayer. Almighty and everlasting Father God, we come before you today very thankful for gathering us all here together today to worship you and to gain a better understanding of your will in our lives, Father. Father, I pray that you just bless my lips today and, and just ease my nerves and, and help my memory, Father, and just, just bless me so that I can, I can be of use to this congregation, Father. I pray that the, the words that I speak could be edifying to this body, Father, and above all, we pray that your will be done. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so pastor asked us if we could give a, a list of our priorities that we have in our life uh, regarding our families. And so I, I put together uh, four main points that I would like to share with you all. And uh, like I said, hopefully, hopefully you find them useful. I will be speaking from the perspective of myself, obviously, so the perspective of a husband and a father. And so what I have to say will probably be mostly geared towards the men in the congregation, uh, married men, young men looking for spouses, uh, people with young children. But as always, I think that we can, or I hope that we can all glean something from the lesson. So the first point that I wrote down, uh, the, first, uh, the first of four priorities that, that I recorded was a priority to feed my family. And this encompasses both feeding them physically, the obvious definition of feed, providing shelter, providing food, uh, working hard and, and just supplying all of our mortal needs here on this earth, and then uh, as well as the spiritual aspect, which I believe is, is much more important, but they are both very important. But to feed my family both physically and spiritually. So as an opening scripture, we can turn to uh, the book of First Timothy, uh, chapter 5, verse 8. <clears throat> but if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Now, the author of 1 Timothy had some very, very sharp words for those that did not provide for their own. So I think that this is, without a question, the responsibility of every husband of every family out there and one not to be taken lightly. And it's not one that I take lightly. Uh, I've been uh, out of work for a couple months now. I'm starting to get a little itchy. I've got to get back to work. We're, 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 we're hemorrhaging funds, so I'm, I'm looking to set up my employment here pretty soon. So, Amen. But I, that is important. Um, a second witness you can found in, or find in the book of Colossians, uh, chapter 3, verse 23. Uh, and this just speaks to uh, staying busy, and, and whatever you do, do it with all your might. Uh, Paul says, and whatsoever ye do, do it heartily, 
as unto the Lord and not unto men. Uh, the book of 2 Thessalonians, chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. And sorry, I, I always go through these scriptures very quick, so it's, it's okay if you don't turn to every one. But 2 Thessalonians, chapter 3, verses 10 through 12 reads, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are of such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. Uh, the book of Exodus 20, uh, verse 9, uh, part of the, the Ten Commandments, uh, it says, Six days shalt thou labor, but the seventh is a day of rest. So still six out of seven days God expects us to work, to be busy, to, to produce something. And, and I, I prioritize that in my life. Uh, Proverbs 21, chapter 25, the desire of the slothful killeth him, for his hands refuse to labor. And another proverb, uh, Proverb 18, 9, he also that is slothful in his work is brother to him that is a great waster. And that is another thing that uh, I believe is important as, as husbands, as fathers, we, we kind of govern, not, we're, we're in charge of not only what we bring in, and, and, and earn as income to support the family, but also what we send out and spend. And it's, it's very easy, even if you have a great job, to spend more than you make and to, to be swallowed up in debt and, and become a slave to it, and then you, you never see your family. And, and so this is a very, very important area, too. And this is uh, obviously something that the, the wife can help out with a great deal, is, is to not be a waster, but uh, requires a lot of discipline, a lot of uh, money management. And uh, we live in a world today of great material wealth, uh, great plenty. Um, there, there's just lots of stuff out there. And it, and it can be very alluring, and, and it's easy to try to keep up with the Joneses and say, well, their, their TV's a little bit bigger than ours. You know, I think it's time to upgrade, you know, and it's like, it's, in all reality, we have vastly fewer needs than we probably think that we do today. And it would be, it would be good for us all to just renew our understanding of that, because it's, it's easy to get lost in, in the shuffle. And uh, with our, our economic times right now, the, the increased uh, kind of an inflationary environment that we have, it's quite possible that we are kind of forced to adopt a more frugal mindset going forward. And, and honestly, that would probably benefit all of us. So I, I, I certainly don't think it's anything to worry about. Um, but as a, as a husband and a father, that is, that, that is something that I, I do concern myself with a little bit because it is, it is important to stay busy and, and ultimately the responsibility falls on us to provide. So Christ, Christ said, man cannot serve God and mammon. So that goes, goes along with the, the waste not, want not, and the, the materialism that we uh, so easily fall captive to today. It, it can become a God. And, and men, you are able to curb that in your families, and I think that that, that is important to do. 
Christ also said in Matthew 19, 24, that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. So for those men out there who become very successful at this and, and amass more than our daily needs require and, 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 and get wealthy, well, it's, it's of limited use. I mean, money is useful, but if we just hoard it for ourselves and buy bigger TVs, it, you know, I don't think that's going to help us out very much. So uh, wealth is actually a big responsibility, and the more we have, the more we need to think about how to use it carefully and productively. So that's the physical aspect of, of, of the point, uh, feed my family. There, there's also a spiritual aspect, which is, is ultimately much more important. In the book of Matthew, chapter 4, our Savior uh, told us, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So in addition to feeding my family and providing a, a, a structure and just their, their daily needs, I believe as, as a husband, as a father, it is also my duty to provide for my family spiritually. And this includes daily Bible instruction, which I am, I am so very, very thankful for the school here. And, and it's, it's wonderful seeing my daughters up here reciting uh, scripture. I, I think it's a, it's a fantastic thing that, that you all do, and I'm, I'm very, very grateful for that. It includes uh, prayer, prayer without ceasing. The Bible tells us to pray without ceasing. I think that's very, very important for parents to do with their children. I know, uh, especially before bed, uh, when I think oftentimes the last thing that you do at night before you sleep has a lot of power. And, and it's easy, I know it's easy for me sometimes when we've been running around doing a feast and we're all tired and it's 11.30 and the kids should have been in bed two hours ago and it's like, well, uh, we'll just pray tomorrow night. But I, I do think that it is important and I try to make a priority in my life to to pray, to pray with, with my children. And, and I think that they will benefit from that greatly. Uh, it is the, the, the father and the husband's responsibility to faithfully attend a church. And that is a, a priority that I have placed in my life as, as part of the, the spiritual provision that I believe it is my duty to uh, supply my family. Um, there, I don't have the statistics in front of me, but it is shocking when you look at the, the husband's influence when it comes to church attendance. If, if the husband is not leading the way to church, if, if the kids don't recognize that, that the, the father is, is leading them to service, if they're, if they're following their mom or if their parents split up, that the church attendance just plummets. And it's, it's only when the, they see the father as leading their family to church that, that the results are, are good. And, you know, frankly, the, the results really, I mean, they could have been better even with that. But the, 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 the difference was stark between a family that, that the, the father led their, their family to church and a family where maybe the dad went, but really they, they knew it was because mom insisted on it or, you know, they split up and mom went and dad didn't or it's it's very very important and i i prioritize that in my life as well 
to not treat church as something trivial, but to, to value it highly and, and try to make a point, try to make a, a large effort to get there on time, which my family's not the greatest at that, but uh, that, that falls on me. But uh, to get there on time, to, to, to show up every week and just contribute. Um, and also uh, just, just keeping good company, another example of, of uh, just spiritual provision, uh, monitoring who your children hang out with, I think is of utmost importance because ultimately we all are who we spend our time with. Because all of us are, are sponges, especially our children. Um, and so obviously as a father, you have a great deal of influence over all those things. And so they should all uh, take a big priority in your life. Uh, from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verses seven, or verse 7, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. I think that that is very important, and, and I think all of us should prioritize that in our life. Just make the Bible Make God's word daily conversation. Amen. And, and it can be, be tricky to do, but it, I, I believe it is extremely important. So the second point that I wrote down um, as far as uh, the four priorities that, that I thought worth sharing um, was to provide my family an example of reverence and obedience through my respect and obedience to my pastor. And, and this, you know, I kind of talked about this already, but leading by example is probably the most powerful form of leadership that there is. You know, we can, we can, we can talk a big talk about, you know, children, you ought to obey us, and, and, and you know, you can tell your wife, you know, I, you, you ought to call me Lord, you know, like, like Sarah did Abraham. But... If, if, if we don't show the same reverence to the, the godly authority over us, it's, it's, it's hypocrisy is what it is. And it's, it's, it becomes very, very difficult for the, the people under you to, to show you the same reverence that you ought to be showing your church. And so that is, that is a big priority in my life. And, and I do have, have a great respect for... The, the leadership here and, and uh, Pastor Dan and, and all of you and and uh, I, I appreciate you guys all all welcoming welcoming us into this church body uh, from the book of Matthew chapter seven verse three and five uh, Christ tells us and why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye thou hypocrite first cast out the beam out of thine own eye. And then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote of thy brother's eye. Uh, second thing, God uses people to guide us. He, he really does. It's often easier to serve words, uh, even from Scripture, but that can be twisted any way that we please than to serve a real flesh and blood person. And just like, like Reed mentioned the other night, it's real flesh and blood people that we need to be held accountable to if we want to serve the body of Christ. 
That, that is what we're called to do. And just because a leader is flawed does not auto- automatically mean that, that he can be ignored because oftentimes we are probably much more flawed. That, that is often the case. And, and a good servant learns the proper avenue to bring up disagreements with his, with his leader. You can find, you can find an, uh, one example of this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1. Uh, now, in this instance, it's, it's in regard to wives with their husbands. But it's, it's the same with any relationship. The person under authority, the person in authority, uh, they, they share common traits. It says, Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may be without the word, be won by conversation of the wives. Respectful conversations of the wives. Conversation, you know, coupled with fear. If I, I think someone mentioned the other night, uh, yeah, getting pulled over. And, you know, a lot of us in the, the, the Christian identity movement are tempted to say, oh, my rights, I'm a, I'm a sovereign citizen, you have no right to do that to me, you know. And, and just read the cop, the riot act, when, you know, he was just, just checking to make sure that you weren't, you know, inebriated. And, you know, Christ said, you know, agree with thine adversary quickly whilst thou art in their way with him, lest he turn and rend you. You know, and, and it's the same thing, you know, with your leadership. If your leadership is, you, you view them as uh, adversarial, you know, you, you disagree with them. Be, you know, a soft word turns away much wrath. There are avenues that the, the, the servant can take to influence the master. And, and that is something that we should all try to employ uh, as men uh, in regard to the church leadership we are in the same position as a wife to their husband, and we should try to just be respectful, even if we think what they're teaching is, is silly. Like, don't tell them that. <laughs> you know, be respectful. Uh, the book of James, chapter 3, verse 1, um, says, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. There is a lot of responsibility that comes with being a master. The, the foolish man looks at it all like license. Like this, is, this gives you the, the, the license to do whatever you want to do and, you know, rub my feet and make me a sandwich and, you know. But it's, it's, it's more a responsibility than anything else. And, and understanding God's word really drives that home. You know, James says, be not many masters, because the masters are in danger of a greater condemnation. A servant doesn't have to have it all figured out. He just has to obey his master. That's all he has to do. You know, a wife doesn't have to have everything figured out. Just obey your husband. If you think that you have something, like, like if your husband is a miss, just gently prod them in the right direction. I'm sure they'll appreciate it. And same thing with, with men in the church. And, and that is a, a priority that I have tried to make in my life, is just to, to be, be respectful of the leadership in the church. Now in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, reads, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you.
The third point that I uh, recorded as a priority that I have in my life uh, for my family is to continually strive for perfection for myself and for my family. Do not become complacent is another, another way to say this. Don't, don't uh, as, as was mentioned last night, uh, just settle back on our lease and, and say everything's pretty good. I attend church every twice a week a lot of times and you know I've got a lot of really godly friends and you know I'm good to go. It's, it's, it's not true. Uh, Hebrews chapter 6 verses 1 and 2 reads, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptisms and, and of laying on of hands and of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. Matthew 5, chapter, or Matthew chapter 5, verse 48 reads, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. That's, that's our, our Lord speaking. He says, be ye perfect. Let us go on unto perfection. Now this obviously is very difficult. Anytime you, you speak in absolutes, it's like, well, that's unattainable. You, you can't do that. But that's what God wants for every last one of us. And so every last one of us has a great deal of work to do. And so we should not become complacent. Now, inevitably, we're going to fail over and over and over and over. Every day we're going to fail to be perfect. But God wants us every day to pick ourselves back up, dust ourselves back up, dust ourselves off, and try again. And as a father, I, I believe not only for myself so that I can lead my family and, and, and show them a good example, but also, you know, I am the leader of my home, and so I want to to push my, my family, my, my wife, my children, towards perfection. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm just going to be angry all the time because they're not perfect. and you know, I'm just, It's like every little step forward, I believe Christ is, is thrilled with us. He wants us to move in the right direction. And so we should want our family to move in the right direction. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of his darkness into his out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are a, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. You know, each and every one of us here looks forward to eternal life. Now that's something that I don't think one of us can fathom. It's, again, it's an absolute. It's the infinite. And, and it's difficult to appreciate just what that means. But, you know, the Bible says that we're, to, we're a nation of kings and priests. Kings and priests, they, they rule over other people. I, I believe that, that many of us will be ruling in God's kingdom. Well, to be a, a, in a, a position of authority for an eternity... It sounds like we need a great deal of humility, a great deal uh, further towards perfection than, than we probably are. So we've got a lot of work to do, and, and, and a pretty short time to do it. Um, I, I, really, I really enjoy the author uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, in, in, uh, specifically his book, Mere Christianity. 
And there's a, there's a couple passages that I just want to read out of this in regard to that, that phrase, be ye perfect. So, okay, the, the command, be ye perfect, is not idealistic gas, nor is it a command to do the impossible. He is going to make us into creatures that can obey that command. He said in the Bible that we were gods, and he is going to make good his words. If we let him, for we can prevent him, if we choose. He will make the, the feeblest and filthiest, filthiest of us into a god or goddess, a dazzling, radiant, immortal creature, pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine. A bright, stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly, though of course on a smaller scale, his own boundless power and delight and goodness. The process will be long and in parts very painful, but that is what we are in for, nothing less. He meant what he said. Going on, he said, imagine yourself as a living house. I really like this analogy. Uh, God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of, throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself one day. So the priority to just continually strive towards perfection, strive to, to improve ourselves for God, not, not to earn our salvation, but just because that's what God wants from each and every one of us. That is a, a strong priority in my life and for my family. Uh, the, the last thing that I recorded, uh, priority number four, uh, I, I wrote to take ownership of my family and to instill in my wife and my children how much I love them. Uh, Ephesians 5, uh, verse 25 reads, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. As husbands, we are to be representatives of Christ to our families. And that is a, a huge responsibility. How could we ever fill Christ's, Christ's shoes? The, the answer is we can't. But we have to try. You know, to, to a child, a, a parent, you know, both their parents, especially their father, is, is the, their, their first representation of God that they see in the world. You know, Pastor mentioned that, that both uh, James and I are very blessed because we grew up in, in uh, families that our, our fathers were, and, and, and mothers, are, you know, our whole family was, was in the movement. And, you know, they were, they were fervent believers in, in Christianity. And I, I know that, that I benefited deeply from that. And so I, I, I think that's, that's immensely important. We are the representatives of Christ. There's, there's a lot of eyes looking at us. And, and so just prioritize just remembering that. Everything that we do is important. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24. This is just before 
Uh, he says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the ward, for the husband is the, the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. First uh, Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. You know, God delegates authority a lot in his kingdom. And, you know, once again, he uses real flesh and blood people to, to fill us with, with the Holy Spirit, to, to guide us in the path that he wants us to take. And so we should, we should pay attention to God's holy order and try to, to replicate it in our lives if we can. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. And, and, and I, I read this once. Uh, I'll read it again. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Uh, once again, it is, it is the, the, the husband and the father's responsibility. You, you know, if, if something isn't going right in your family, you should not be looking for excuses to relinquish your responsibilities. Like, well, the, my wife just won't listen, or, well, my kids are just, you know, little monsters, and, you know, it's impossible. Like, ultimately, I believe it, the lion's share of all of it falls on me. And so it, it, it's, a, it's a huge priority in my life to try to recognize that and to, to, to not get, not throw my hands up in the air when something's going wrong, but just try to, to, to just take a step back, analyze, and, you know, just solve the problem. Uh, the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 22 and 23, it is the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Now, if we are to be representatives of Christ to our family, what, what sin is there that Christ won't forgive us of? Yeah, and, and you know, I, I, I won't even pretend to know exactly what, what that entails. That's, that's probably above my head. But what I'm getting at is, you know, let's see, it was, was it Peter? Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him as many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say unto you seven times, but 70 times seven. It's like, really, when, when we get down to it, there's, there's a lot of horrible things that Israel has already done to God, that we do to God every day. But none of it is beyond God's forgiveness. You know, we, we have committed adultery countless times with, with stocks and idols and, you know, and, and God, God still loved us through it all. He, he chastised us. He, he even put us away. But it was only, it was only a temporary thing. It was, it, was, it was a punitive measure. And it was with the intent to bring us back. So with... As, as a husband and a father within my own family, 
I, I'm not seeking to draw these lines and say, well, if you do this, then I don't have to love you anymore. Because you know, I, I don't believe that's how Christ is with us. We don't, we don't have to earn Christ's, salve, Christ's love for us. We can't earn Christ's love for us. <clears throat> and so in our own families, men, I, I charge you that you should love, <clears throat> excuse me, you should love your family without, without bound. There, there should be nothing that your family can do to lessen your love for them. The book of 1 John, chapter 4, verse 19, reads, We love him, we love Christ, because he first loved us. And because Christ first loved us, we can love our family. Even if they're rotten, we can still love them because Christ loved us. It's like that's where, that's where the power, excuse me, that's where the power comes from. That's where the, the spark comes from. It comes from God, and we can pass it on through our families. And I believe that is, is extremely important. Uh, once again, just to instill within your family, to instill within my family, that I love them no matter what. And it doesn't mean that I'll, I won't get extremely angry if you know they do certain things, but that anger is, is temporary, and, and it, it desires reconciliation. If you all would, uh, would just for a closing uh, passage, turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 8. Romans, chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. And, and if, if you all would, we can recite it together. So everyone turn with me. Romans, chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. All right, and all together. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So may, may we all be bound together in the inseparable union of the love of Christ. Amen. We're so blessed to have Jonathan and James with us. And our brother James will be giving a testimony. James is going to build a house. It's going to be a solar house off the grid. He currently lives off the grid in... Smithville, Oklahoma, so he'll be duplicating that house, probably a larger house because the family seems to be growing, and I'm guessing that James has no intention of, of containing his family, so he's going to let God determine <clears throat> how big that house <clears throat> is going to be, well, he may have an idea already on that. James, so good to have you. Thank you. I'm going to go up at things from a slightly different angle. When we think of worldview, we, we want to know, when someone's trying to ascertain what your worldview is, 
They want to know why you do what you do. We can observe someone and we can pretty much get a determination of their worldview simply by observing their actions. So the, the age-old questions, who am I? We know that. We're Israel. Why am I here? We can look to Genesis. God said, let us create man in our image after our likeness to have dominion. And then later he said, there was not a man to till the ground. And then as we read through the Psalms and throughout the rest of the Bible, we, we learn that we are here to bring glory to God. The next question in life is, who do I serve? That's a really simple, basic question. Who, I, who do I serve? And I like the response from Joshua. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We are bought with a price. That's a, it's an interesting aspect because we are bought with a price. It is our duty to serve. Of all the things of our modern age, it seems duty is the one that is spoken of the least. You don't hear about duty anymore. And duty is a very, very important thing. If we look at motivationals, there's seven basic things that motivate people. And as Christians, I've always, I've always hated going to motivational speakers. And I never understood why, but basically the tr true motivation has to come from inside. It has to come from the heart. Things that motivate, the seven basics are love, hate, fear, desire, need, duty, and compassion. And as a Christian, as a Christian father, as you listen to Jonathan's worldview or the other gentleman that spoke the other evening about their worldviews, you will find that these facets are what motivates them in their worldview to be good fathers, to be good husbands, to be good fellow Christians. In Mark chapter 12, verse 30, let me flip over here. Matthew 12, 30. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Love. And then in Psalms 101 verse 3, we have the psalmist, he said, I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave unto me. And in Proverbs, we, we read about the six things that the Lord hate. We read in Psalms, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In Isaiah chapter 33, verse 6, and let's turn over there real quick. If I can get my fingers to work here. Isaiah 33, verse 6. And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times and strength of salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. Now read that again. 
and wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times and strength of salvation the fear of the Lord is his treasure we all know we live in perilous times if we don't have wisdom and knowledge for the stability of those times and if we don't link that wisdom and knowledge to the fear of the Lord then we're going to end up somewhere in a fearful state and it won't be the right kind of fear Proverbs chapter 8 verse 13 the fear of the Lord is to hate evil pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate so that links, links us back to hate again desire what, what, did, what did Paul say in Romans 10 1 brethren my heart's desire Come on, somebody knows it. For Israel is that they might be saved. Is that as Christians and as fathers, is that what our heart's desire is? Because if we, if we go down the things that should motivate us as Christians and as fathers, love, that love is to be towards God first and second towards our families. Hate, we should hate the work at them that turn aside. We should hate the, the evil. That doesn't mean we should hate it on the Sabbath and the other six days watch it on the TV. If you truly hate something, you want nothing to do with it. If anybody has ever had someone in their life that they hate, when you see them walking down the street, you don't just pause to chit-chat. So if we're pausing to chit-chat with evil, then we're not hating the evil. If we're, you, you get my point. There's, there's no need to go on on that. Need. Need is a very strong motivational, but we, we tend to think, well, well, we need this and we need that. And as Jonathan was saying, a lot of times we're actually interpreting our wants for our needs, and it's, it's false. In Matthew 3.14, John the Baptist said to Christ, I need to be baptized of thee. We have a need for Christ. We have a need to serve. Ecclesiastes 12.13 says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Duty. Let's follow that with Luke 17.10. So likewise, ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Where, where does that leave any room for pride? It doesn't. It, if we follow Christ to the best of our ability and follow his law out of, the, out of love, which he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If, if we do our duty, 
It says, say, say, I'm unprofitable. All I've done is what my duty was. I was a bought with a price. Bought with a price, and I did my duty. That was the bare minimum. Jonathan touched on what duties we have as fathers. What, what motivates us? Love, hate, fear, desire, need, duty, and compassion. If, if all our motivations are Christ-centered, then, Lord willing, we should be on the right track. I have a couple of verses on compassion. We'll just touch on those real quick, and then I'll move on. Matthew 9, 36. And this is talking about Jesus. This is where he says, I'll just read it. I'm almost there. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Is compassion one of our motivators? Do we have compassion for our fellow Christians that are lost? And then in Jude verses 18, Jude should be easy enough to find. I'm going to read a few verses here at the end of Jude. How that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit, but ye beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And some have compassion, making a difference. If you want to make a difference in this life, have compassion. If you want to make a difference in the lives of your children, have compassion. As, as fathers, as parents, if, if we don't have compassion, if we don't do our duty, if we don't love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, if we don't hate the work of them that turn aside, if we don't desire Christ, then we're going to fail. It's that plain and simple. I could go over the verses, train up a child in the way that he should go, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We, we could rehash multiple things. My priority as a father, husband, Christian, as a parent, is to try and make sure that my motivations are Christ-centered. If my motivation is to, to build a bigger house than the Joneses or my motivation is to want all my children to be just, just you know, prim, proper, but then at, at home they're, they're screaming nightmares, if our motivation is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, then we're not bringing forth the kingdom. That's, uh, that's about the gist of it. Christ-centered motivations. As Christians, we should be the most motivated people on earth. Behold, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am there you may be also. How much more motivation could we ask for? And I'll end with that. Thank you very much.